0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to Creator Support, the show where we answer your questions about the business of being a creator. On today's episode, we're going to talk about three books that have made us better YouTubers.
1: We're also going to be talking about one of the biggest production mistakes we've ever made. We're going to be talking about our experience at the Streamies, and then we're going to talk about what you can learn from Nebula, the streaming platform.
0: All right. If you make it to the deep end, let us know.
1: All right. Our first question comes from Kevin Lowe.
0: What the hell? Sorry.
1: Okay, I sh- thought I'd shake it up a little bit. For
0: everyone listening, Colin just opened up a LaCroix and it just exploded all over the mic and himself. All right. Here we okay. go. All right. Our first question comes from Kevin Lowe from Discord. Hey, Colin Samir. My name is Kevin and I am from Los Angeles. The question I have for you guys is, what are some of your favorite books that you've used to level you up as a creator? Whether that's in skills, mindset, or creativity. Thanks. Okay. This is a great question. We get this question all the time. There's a big meta on YouTube of people talking about their favorite books and it's always like a stack of books and then
1: them in the middle. It's generally like I read a hundred books in one month. So here's what I learned. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Or like the X best books for being an entrepreneur or this book made me a millionaire. So we are going to talk about books. We've never... We, we, in passing, mentioned books, but we don't go in depth about the books. Have Typically, we ever brought up
1: Rick Rubin's book?
0: <laughs> <laughs> there are some very important books to me that are sitting here on the desk right now. Yeah. And some very important authors. And we, we, we boiled it down to three, but we'll probably end up talking about more than three. So yeah, we're going to talk about three books that have, have really impacted our YouTube journey. And even now, 12 years after uploading the first YouTube video, that I personally still reference as Mm -hmm. like what is the DNA of what we've been doing for the past 12 years, a lot of that is in these books.
1: These are the type of books that you can read again and again and again because you always want to be reminded of what's in there.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: I think you should start because you read a book at the beginning of your YouTube journey that was super impactful that I, I read once I met you.
0: I read this book called Unleashing the Idea Virus by Seth Godin. I don't even remember how I got my hands on this book. Like I have no idea how it happened, but I read it on a on a flight and um, it's not very long, but I just, it was probably one of the first books that I just could not put down. And the book was written in the nineties, which I think is a really important thing that, that has informed a lot of my journey. Um, but the book is essentially about the way that ideas spread. And he connects that to being like a virus, like the concept that to make a viral idea, it's to put something out into the world. And it's not the idea that, that spreads. What happens is it gets to people who then tell other people who then tell other people. And so the base premise of the book is how do you make an idea that's worth spreading? What is the DNA of an idea that, that can even replicate and um, it was the first time I heard the term remarkability, like worth making a remark over. Like how do you set your idea up for success where someone else can repeat the idea? Who are those people? He calls them sneezers in the book, where <laughs> it's like someone who receives the idea and then sneezes and that you know is what passes the virus along. Who are those people, those influential people you have to explain the idea to who are then gonna explain the idea to someone else? The line early on in this that that really got me and got me thinking about YouTube was ideas that are free spread and ideas that spread win. And the, the concept of like when I was first exploring making videos after college, I thought about it in the context of like making films where someone had to buy a ticket or like, you know, should I charge people for these videos that I'm making? And it was the first thing that had helped me really understand the value of YouTube and the concept of giving things away for free, quote Mm -hmm. unquote. And and alongside of that, it's like setting your idea up for success for someone else to say it. And when we first started working together with TLN, I used to say this a lot of like, we used to talk about lacrosse practice and stretching lines. The way we used to talk about how we wanted our videos to spread was in a physical sense where a group of people who were interested, there was one influential person in that stretching line who would say, hey, did you guys see that video on the Lacrosse Network? And they were sitting with 30 people who would potentially be interested too. So that's how we thought about virality of ideas was, is this easy for that kid to talk about and spread to the 30 kids that they're with?
1: Yeah. I also think back in 2012, that line and that idea that if you made something good and you gave it away for free, that you would win. What he's really talking about is like, your idea, your business will be adopted. Mm -hmm. And if it's adopted, by enough people, you'll find a way to monetize. Right. And I think for us back in 2012, YouTube, it was so unknown of like, yeah. wait, so we just publish videos to YouTube at our own cost mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then we'll make money. Yeah. And it gave us the confidence to, I think, keep pushing because people were talking about it on lacrosse fields yeah. and it was picking up. We were like, okay, people are adopting this idea of the lacrosse network. We're going to be able to find a way to make money.
0: Yeah. And and that's what happened. Yeah, which is amazing to to really think about. Um, but the, the the one of the most important parts about this book is that it was written in the '90s. So you're learning about the concept of YouTube pr- prior to YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important to learn timeless concepts as a creator, as a marketer, as anyone who is trying to make ideas that spread to a lot of people. I think you should pull from history of how people did it in the past and then apply it. You don't only want to read books about right now, like the fact, or just about YouTube, or just about YouTube. Um, one of the most interesting things is he talks about how Hotmail sp- uh, That's spread. That's one of my favorite. It's so examples. good, and he's talking about what they did was at the bottom of every Hotmail email, it said "sent with Hotmail," and that linked you to create your own account. So, like the sheer product of sending an email was the marketing of sending the email because, like, the, the experience
1: of receiving the email, you were like, "How did this person do this? I want to do this." Weren't they also one of the first platforms to? give email away oh no they weren't the first to give it away for free yeah but yahoo did that was it yahoo or was it uh, microsoft outlook not sure anyway it was like he's telling the story about how hotmail grew because with every email that was sent using hotmail at the bottom it says this was sent using hotmail so it's like this loop Mm -hmm. where more people start signing up and then the company that finally like put the nail in the coffin for them was a company that just was like you know what we're giving away email yeah, for email free, free. Yeah. and it was Microsoft Outlook, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Or, I, or Yahoo. It was either Yahoo or Microsoft Outlook, but it was like, because it was given away for free, done. Mm, Give it away for and free, they, and then they find other ways to win. Th-
0: there's a there's a good piece in there about permission marketing, which is essentially that. It's like you're receiving the email, and so all of a sudden, you're in an environment where you have permission to to market to the, these people. Um, the last thing I'll say is that you know it really helped me understand that marketing is about— connecting to and creating tribes, which is another book that Seth Godin wrote called Tribes. And I went down this rabbit hole of Seth Godin. There's a ton of Seth Godin books here. He's someone I'd love to have on the show. He's influenced my career like so much. Um, But this book, Unleashing the Idea Virus, if you're a creator, I I highly recommend it. One thing we are um, culprits of, Colin, is that we recommend things and never link them. Um, and so this episode we will, this is my promise to you. We will link these books, um, in the description of the YouTube video and the description on podcast.
1: Okay. Book number two, Jake Paul. You got to want it. Jake Paul is
0: sitting on the table. You got to want it. (laughs) We bought that for a creator merch episode. Yeah.
1: I've never read it, but I just get up in the morning and I look at it and I go, I want it. You got to want it. I want it. You got to want it. Yep. Okay. No, the actual book number two, uh, a book we've spoken about before. This is a book that uh, both you and I started reading. Was it just last year? I think last
0: summer, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it was given to us after we went to a summit with Shopify. Mm -hmm. And it really is more so about like creative collaboration and how to persevere through a creative project. And for me, uh, one of the biggest concepts that I learned about here was what they did at Pixar when they were making some of their hit movies. They had a brain trust, they called it, which was a group of elite, trusted storytellers where they basically would like rip apart your idea. They would get into a room, and you pitch your story, you show them an example of what you've got, and you trust these people in the room to give you harsh, like serious feedback. And along with that, there's a quote that I loved where it says, You are not your idea. If you associate too closely with your idea you'll take offense when it's critiqued and i just paraphrased that but that yeah. it was a moment for me when i thought back to so many times in the office where i've pitched you or i've pitched different people in our office an idea and they have a critique of it and mm. i take it personally sure and you just realize you're not going to get anywhere in a team collaborative environment when you're making anything specifically youtube videos if you can't handle critique and
0: yeah. if you take
1: it as a personal assault cuz it's not mm-hmm. like you can't associate with your ideas you have to go for the idea that's best. Yeah. And that's a lot of what this book talks about when they're making these hit movies at Pixar. It was movies made by committee, and that's really difficult to do. Like, creativity by committee is not easy. And they found ways to do it.
0: Yeah, they put a lot of terminology in there to the creative process that I think is really important. One of my favorite things that I'll never forget is the the description of exploring the neighborhood, which essentially means, like, you kind of have to go all the way through a creative idea to see it. And it's okay if you turn around and decide not to do it. It's exploring the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like you drive into a neighborhood, look around, and it's okay for you to be like, no, I don't like this and drive out. The only way to know is to fully drive there. And we've had a lot of experiences when you're building a creative team. I'm sure a lot of YouTube creators and entrepreneurs can, can recognize this. When you're building a team, you're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to just grind for this week to see this idea through. And as you're going through it, you're like, uh, I actually don't like this. Mm-hmm. This idea doesn't work. And it's really overwhelming to you turn out of there, to just turn to your team and be like, guys, we're just not going to do that. Yep. And you think about canning YouTube videos. You think about all, like a ton of work on a graphic or a project that you then just cut and you don't like it anymore. Like, that is part of building a creative business and putting in terminology there of, like, we're exploring the neighborhood. Like, let's throw out this idea. Like, cool, we got to explore that now. We yep. got to turn over that rock and just see if we like it. If we don't like it, that's okay.
1: There's a great quote that I pulled here. Failure isn't a necessary evil. It isn't evil at all. It is a necessary consequence of doing something new. And specifically when it comes to new formats as a creator, when you're mm-hmm. making a new format, you look at, when we started doing studio tours. Yeah. Remember how many versions of the Rent and Link mythical studio tour we made? I mean, it was unbelievable. I think we
0: released V48. Yeah. yeah. We just <laughs> went
1: back and forth and it was so, it felt painful at times to explore the neighborhood so much so and then realize, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I need to explore another part of this neighborhood. And then you're like, all right, let's forget what we just did. Let's go the other direction. And then you get to the end and you go, it's not that either. And if you can sit in that mindset of this is actually a necessary consequence of doing something new, it's not us making mistakes. yeah. It's not us failing. Yeah, it's part of us getting to the answer.
0: The, the interesting thing about that studio tour that we put out um, is that the version we ended up putting out was the uh, extremely close to V1. <laughs> yeah, that's and, happened and to us many times. Many times, where uh, you you make something and you reiterate and reiterate and reiterate, and you end up just with the first version. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a premise in in the creative act, uh, Rick Rubin's book. Yeah, um, that we have upstairs <laughs> printed we, and hung printed, on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, creativity Inc. If you're building a creator business, any business, I actually think it has some you know management and just like really, it was the first time I felt seen. In our business of being like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess this has existed for a long time. Like building a creative company is just, this is what it is. Um, there's so much irrational stuff you do as a creative. And as a creative company, how do you justify that to your employees or people you work with? It feels crazy, but putting terms to it is really helpful.
1: They're they're talking about at Pixar how uh, they do this day every year where yeah, yeah. everyone comes in and they get—is it like they get mixed up into teams?
0: Yeah, they 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 work from different, departments? but they don't work on Pixar stuff. Like yeah. they kind of like work on just new ideas and random things. Um, so they, they yeah, and they and there's people from like accounting that are working with people from
1: the graphics from department. animation, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, and they have to solve creative problems together.
1: Yeah, and the mix of inputs is what ends up developing yep. new ideas. Yep. Okay, there's
0: some honorable mentions on here that we should talk about okay. before we get to number three, which you know. Um, uh, I'm going to suggest tribes to everyone. Like these two, this one, two punch Seth Godin unleashing the idea virus and tribes can't suggest it enough. Start, start with why. Start with why by Simon
1: Sinek. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it.
0: Yes. And if you don't want to read the book, just listen to the Ted talk. Just look up Simon (laughs) Sinek's start with why Ted talk. It's fantastic. Um, shoe dog. This is one of the only books that has made me sob. Yeah. The last page, I just started crying. Um, But this is the story of Nike. If you want to learn about building a company, like, Shoe Dog is just unbelievable.
1: And pursuing an outrageous idea. Yeah,
0: yeah, completely ludicrous idea. Shoe Dog is fantastic.
1: Uh, Like Brothers, which is by Mark Duplass and Mm -hmm. Jay Duplass. I think I gifted you this. You did. For your birthday. It's a lot about having a creative partner. Mm -hmm. Um, but also just about being young and trying to pursue a creative Mm -hmm. career. He talks a lot about like which cities you should think about living in and how to like Mm -hmm. keep your burn low so that you can make what you want. And it's just, I really connected a lot with Like Brothers.
0: Jerry Seinfeld, is this anything? This is a collection of Jerry Seinfeld's writing. What's amazing about it is so much of it is bad. It's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. things about this is that you look at it and you're like, this is how much bad work you need to make good work. And I don't, I think it was Jerry or maybe someone else, but, uh, you know, in creativity, it's like, if you want to be great, the first question that, um, you know, someone will ask you is show me your bad work. Where do you keep your bad work? Mm-hmm. If you don't have enough bad work. You're not going to make good work. Are you trying to find a good quote from the Jake Paul book?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's easy, but <laughs> okay. Hit me with a quote. Own what you do. If you don't, someone can take it. I mean, honestly, kind of a bar. Like, pretty good yeah, advice. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Own your work. Yeah,
0: pretty good advice there. <laughs> um, okay, there's a lot to the third book that we're going to talk about, which is um The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. There's a lot to it. We've talked about it a lot. Like I I think if you are a creative and you're trying to understand yourself, this is a great book. Um, one of my favorite things from this book is there's like a very simple, there's a lot of simple lines, uh, but just one that I wanted to bring up was um one of the best strategies is to lower the stakes. That it's very similar to what Mark Rober told us about the Super Mario effect saying like, how can you create situations in your creativity where like a video game, if you quote unquote die, you just have another life. Like it, you can just try again. Um, and I've experienced that this year of just even mentally lowering the stakes of putting out a video. Uh, if you lower those stakes and you're like, okay, yeah, it, I'm not trying to put out a 10 out of 10. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to put out the worst video. But if I do, it's a very long career. Mm-hmm. I can come back from that. Like, I can solve that. Yeah. Um. If you lower those stakes in your head of, like, this is not life or death. Like, it's okay. It's a long career. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep making stuff. I used to feel like the stakes were really, really high, and that kind of paralyzes you from putting out stuff. And I still think sometimes the stakes are too high in my head about trying new ideas or exploring new Mm -hmm. things. Um, But that line to me, it's like a very kind of in passing line in the book. Mm. But uh, it's just one example of like what the book is about. It's about the mental state of being a creative. Yeah,
1: it's a lot about the psychology of of being a creator. There's a moment where he talks about working with other musicians and how a lot of them, he finds, assume that they've peaked, that their best work is behind them. Right, right. And it's just not true. Like you don't know when you're going to I guess, quote-unquote, peak again, Mm -hmm. but it's completely false. Like, it's a false belief if you think you've done your best work. Yeah. All right, so I flagged this quote last night. Sometimes the mistakes are what makes a work great. Humanity breathes in mistakes. I feel like on YouTube, that's so pertinent. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what makes creating on YouTube so different than what you're going to find on Netflix. A lot of times on, like, streamers or in movies, you don't get to breathe in, like, humanity. Except for right. when
0: Game of Thrones showed that Starbucks cup.
1: That was hard to find, though. That was crazy. That was crazy.
0: Right? Like if you really think about it, that's yeah, crazy.
1: That was yeah. Shocking, really. <laughs> yeah. For someone shocking. who was so deep in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I've at never the time. seen it. Oh, I saw one episode with you. I didn't You get saw one episode with yeah, me. Clearly that still haunts <laughs> you, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a weird episode. <laughs> Another great one. Yeah. The person who makes something today isn't the same person who returns to the work tomorrow.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. I like like you
1: are not. <laughs> consistently going to be the same artist every day. Yeah, Everything you're experiencing, everything you're doing is going to impact mm-hmm. the work that you do. So I
0: I think just to, uh, like in closing, I would say that th- this collection of books, we will link, um, highly recommend it. But I think just turning to uh, literature and books is is really important in your creative journey, like learning from some of these authors. I'd love to sit down and speak to more authors. Like this year we got to speak to Tim Ferris and Austin Kleon, who wrote Steal Like an Artist. Steal Like an Artist is another one. You got to read it. Um, I'd love to sit down with Seth Godin. I think Seth Godin is someone who's really impacted our career. Rick Rubin obviously would be a, a dream to sit sit down with. I don't even know what that would be like. Um,
1: but didn't Tim Ferris interview Rick Rubin in a sauna? sauna? Yeah, in a sauna.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about like this this concept of um lowering the stakes. Um and address some some commentary on Discord. Before we get to that, if you guys have any books that you think we should read that we didn't mention, put them in the comments. If you're listening, you can tweet them at us or go over to YouTube, put them in the YouTube comments uh, for this episode. I, I'd love a new book for the holidays.
1: Last thing I want to say about books is the reason we didn't bring up any books that are specifically about YouTube is because I think the YouTube landscape and what works changes so much. And what you really need are the skills to adapt yeah. and sort of weather whatever changes come. You need the timeless concepts. You need timeless concepts about like marketing, about work, about dealing with self-doubt. like Brand building, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. need to be armed to handle whatever changes come from a platform or business perspective.
0: Those concepts can, can stand the test of time, algorithms, you know, the ever-changing landscape of, of YouTube. Um, pull books from like a long time ago and they will... If they're good, they'll apply today, which is great. Okay, so we put out our roundtable last week, which was an awesome conversation, a great experience. We did a roundtable with a ton of creators. It's out on our channel now. Um, But there was a massive, you know, kind of issue with the production of that.
1: Yeah, probably one of the biggest production mishaps we've had ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Considering what it took to get all those creators in one place. Yeah. Uh, to have that opportunity and then have this production mishap.
0: Yeah, and as a as a you know producer and as creators who who have their own like part of what we do as creators is we handle everything right. So like if we're gonna distribute something, it doesn't matter who is involved in the production. The buck stops with us. Like it's mm-hmm. our show, it's our production.
1: So first you off, know, let's explain. What the production mishap was? I'll just think. yeah, yeah. I'm so, just saying
0: before we get into it, the blame lies on us oh, because yeah. we it's our show. Totally, it, it it's okay that like you know there's other people involved who uh, were operating some things, but like we, it's all comes down to us. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it all comes down to us. Absolutely.
1: So here's what the problem was. Everyone at the table was mic'd with a lav mic.
0: Yep, and we had a safety, and then we
1: had a shotgun. safety microphone, yeah. a shotgun above microphone yeah. above. So what happened was. All of that audio, all of those eight sources are coming into a mixer. The end product was that all of those sources.
0: The mixer got set to auto.
1: The mixer got set to auto. So auto at, mix so at in random real time. times, it's switching from one person's lav mic to potentially someone else's because it picks them up. Because they go, <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And it also is switching at times to the shotgun mic above. And the main problem is that all of that auto mixing got combined onto one singular stereo track. So normally what we would want, if we have eight audio sources, is eight separate files so that we can adjust everyone individually. But we didn't have that. Yeah, we did not have that. And Um, some people were lower than others. Some people were making noises and it's picking up and it's switching. So it was a really difficult audio file to edit. Yeah,
0: it was was impossible to edit.
1: Um, And it it just wasn't like podcast quality. No, It wasn't the quality that we normally put out.
0: It wasn't It wasn't at all of the, the quality that we uh, put out ever. So, you know, upon first listen and showing it to some serious audio professionals, there was a lot of conversation of like, we can't put this out. Like we can't, we cannot put this out. And I think it's interesting to talk about kind of the decision matrix that got us to putting it out. And, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what the, you know, right or wrong decision exactly, if there's like a definitive right or wrong decision here, but I, there was a lot of nebulous kind of like, are we going to put it out or we're not going to put it out? Like, maybe this guy can help us. Maybe that guy can help us. Like just trying everything we could to make the audio sound as best as possible. Um, I think what was really tough for us was it was a first of its kind format and exactly what you just said about Creativity Inc. It's like failure is a necessary part of experimentation. I think for me, like the sheer fact that we, the conversation was great and that we did it and that all these creators invested time into it. Um, I listened to it a few times and I was just like, you know what? We're putting it out. Like, we're just going to put it out. I think it opens the doors for us to explore the format fully, but there was a lot of concern also that it closes those doors because other creators might look at it and be like, oh, I'm not going to come on that. Yeah. Like that's not
1: high quality. Not as premium as I would yeah.
0: want. For and the me, verdict is out. Still, if it, it what repercussions
1: it has or doesn't have, either positive or negative, I think the feedback was uh, overwhelmingly positive. There's yeah. definitely a lot of comments that keep coming through about the audio, which is to be expected. Yeah, the quality of what was said is, I think, really high, which is great. And I think we will get the opportunity to do it again. But it, yeah, there will, there may be some people who look at it and they're like, "Oh, that, how could they not figure that out?" But,
0: I think we also catastrophize a bit more in our heads and let things ruminate than than there are in reality, right? Like, I think, again, back to the the Ruben thing, like, one of the best strategies is to lower the stakes. Like, those stakes don't—we we can create those stakes in our head, but they don't exist yet. No one has said that yet, right? That they wouldn't come on— Totally. Yeah, because of that. So, like— it's possible, but we also can just, that is not a thing that has happened yet. So we can just eliminate that fear.
1: It was just a weird you experience know? in the office because it was both exciting and disappointing at the same time.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think even people who have, you know, we were at the streamies and a lot of people are like, dude, the round table is so awesome. I have like a mixed, I have mixed emotions about it. Like I I loved it. All those creators opened up in a way that it was it was amazing. I felt like you and I had an experience of, of hosting that was so unique and so fresh and so fun. Um, and then getting the the files and being like, oh, and then dealing with that kind of struggle of, you know, dealing with this audio. For, yeah, it's not for just tough on us;
1: it's tough on the team tough too. Tough on the team, yeah. Big credit to the team for spending the hours and hours and hours yeah. trying to make the audio as good as possible.
0: Jesse spent hours in his office, just door closed, slicing everyone's lines and going <laughs> like, okay, this line sounds better if I bump the gain here. If I do this, that, like it's. It was wild. And there was trying people, different there, AI there was also software. <laughs> people externally who really helped. Alex Knickerbocker, who's who's a creator, um, you know, immediately picked up my call and 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 helped. And just like I just appreciate everyone who tried to to help as much as they could. And I appreciate everyone who liked the conversation and to just address all of the Discord comments about trying to figure out what happened. Uh, You know, like there's comments here, like, I think it was short notice. They couldn't rent audio gear. Um, This felt more like a raw VOD of a VidSummit panel or something like that. Like just that, we just wanted to explain what happened and just, it was like an internal turmoil of figuring out if we should put it out or not.
1: I think my biggest fear, which was unfounded, was that people would look at it and go, oh, here's a bunch of digital creators trying a traditional format. Right. And going, like, these digital is their landscape, and yeah, they can't yeah. figure out. Yeah, yeah like it. Yeah. Like digital creators might be perceived as lesser than yeah. because it's normally sure actors and traditional media people manning the cameras. Yeah, but even that, I haven't I, seen anything. No, no, I that think has, I, that has. Yeah, I think you have to expand that to be true. You
0: always have to expand the timeline of everything. Like you know, if you look at this in isolation, yes, you know that like there is an audio mishap there. Uh, if you expand it and we adopt this roundtable format and do it over the next five years, this will be a very small blip, you totally. know? And that's that's part of lowering the stakes and, and saying like, you want to treat everything like it is it is like you need it to be excellent. And that is something that you and I uh, deal with a lot is like this pursuit of excellence, but it does sometimes stop us from experimenting because this is the risk of experimentation.
1: Yeah. You know? And two two weeks ago, it was 95% of our mind share. Yeah. And now it's, it, I look back at it actually just fondly. Yeah. Like it's a totally- pretty much positive experience now. Totally. So.
0: We should talk about the streamies, but let's answer a question real quick. Let's hit it. Are money giveaways cringe? This is from Sam the Sham on Discord. I'm thinking about doing a giveaway for subscribers in my next video. And my partner said it didn't feel right after describing it. Do you think the focus should be solely on creating the best video possible initially and not worrying about giveaways until I've reached a certain subscriber slash view count? The purpose is so that the winner could have the opportunity to buy products reviewed in the video. The giveaway would be teased around one minute and the prize details would
1: follow later. $300 Amazon gift card. Look, we've done giveaways for money, for gift cards. Mm-hmm. They work. There's no doubt about it. But money
0: is a, is a great uh, incentivizer. Yeah. It is probably the great incentivizer.
1: I do think there is a way to ensure that the people that subscribe or the people that sign up to your newsletter or whatever it is, are the audience you want by picking the prize and curating it in a way that is targeted towards the type of audience you want so that you don't have mm-hmm. a bunch of people just saying like yeah I want this money but I actually don't care about this creator's content I'm not coming back
0: yeah you don't you don't want your content to be dependent on giveaways yeah right like you don't want people to be there and then like they're like oh he stopped giving away stuff all right I'm out of here yeah um you know what's really interesting is this might be helpful to you, Sam, but we did a thousand uh, dollar gift card giveaway uh, for to, to grow the published press, our newsletter, and that's that's been something we've been trying to figure out and and solve. Is like, how do we do these? Uh, how do we grow that newsletter list uh, on a more regular basis? And we found that attracting the right audience through giveaways, like, it can happen. But here's the learning. So the first one was we gave away a thousand dollar gift card. And we grew um, like 10,000 or or 15,000 subscribers, which was awesome, huge. The second time around, I thought about it and I was like, I don't want to give away a gift card. What I want to do is curate a gift basket, basically, like a a, a bundle of gear that we would give. This is also heavily inspired by watching Ali Abdal do it. I saw him do it and I was like, Oh, that's cool. He picked out stuff, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of allure to the fact that Ali picked stuff out. Yeah, and so I went to Best. I like literally was driving into work and passed a Best Buy, and I was like, I'm gonna walk in here. Just bought a thousand dollars worth of gear and talked through buying it. That giveaway pushed us like that. We gained over thirty thousand subscribers in that giveaway, and those subscribers stuck to the newsletter. Like they mm-hmm. they they are there. They open the newsletter. They are part of the community. And I was like, oh, that's great. That was the right audience. Not just any audience. That was the right audience.
1: I also think if you're a creator and you're not in a position to give away $1,000 or enough money that's even really interesting at large to people, I wouldn't discount the opportunity to give away something that's personal to you that's more of like a collectible. Totally. Right? Like something that your early audience can look back on as being, you know, as remembering, like I was the one who won that thing. You know, with Lacrosse Network early on, we would do t-shirt design contest where people would submit, right? And then they got to be the person who designed it and Actually, they got the shirts. The first person who ever won that giveaway is now like a big YouTuber. It's Jesse, Jesse James Jesse West. Jesse James West, yeah. yeah. I,
0: I, if I can pull up the photo of him, I think I just saw it recently. Uh, he's like 13 years old, like with mm-hmm. us holding up like his design of a t-shirt. Um, that just ages us significantly. Uh, that like a, a one of our subscribers at that time was so young and now is like, an early twenties YouTuber it is what it is. It'll keep happening. <laughs> um, so I, I think like the, what makes giveaways exciting as a audience member is the interactivity, you know, like it's interactive entertainment. You get to like participate in something, take an action, and then you have the potential of receiving something. And, um, if you expand your mind outside of money and start thinking about different ways, I think about when fun for Louis was vlogging really regularly and what was really cool was that it was a different subscriber doing the intro for Mm -hmm. fun for louis every time yeah it was like it would be like hey i'm samir from los angeles and welcome to fun for louis yeah and that's just another angle of incentivizing subscription right like i pick a subscriber every week to feature i you -hmm. know like there's different ways to think about how to incentivize what you're trying to incentivize is community building
1: you can offer a 30 minute zoom call
0: yeah it's like again what you're incentivizing is community building, not necessarily just like people looking for handouts or mm-hmm. something, you know, like you don't, you don't want a bunch of people just waiting and being like, all right, I'm watching your vlog, but like, are you going to give me money or what? Like yeah, this, yeah. this vlog sucks because you didn't give away a thousand dollars. Um, so I would, I would reshape that and think about it in the context of like, is this building my community or am I just trying to get
1: yeah. numbers up? Can you give away a marker of community? Uh, can you give away an experience or a memory, yeah. as opposed to just cash. Yeah. All right, man. Streamies. Streamies. We lost. Again. Yeah, I didn't uh, even.
0: But again. I didn't even go in this year. I, I said it. Like I didn't even go in this year thinking that we should win the education award. You know, like I look at. I think Veritasium is is a you know a brand that I hold very like from a standard perspective, they are the height of like educational content yeah. uh, on YouTube. And I don't think we are educating in that same way. I think our show is educational, but there's something different to like the learning and education category.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's the, the best fit for I, I still know that it's our category. So I was, I missed the announcement. I think we were, yeah, we back were backstage, backstage or we were something. Backstage. And then I didn't yeah. even realize that we had lost. I kept watching all of those announcements, you know, like the, the groupings <laughs> yeah, yeah. of when they just announced them all quickly yeah. on stage and I was like, oh yeah, we're next, we're next. And then Madeline turns to me and she goes, you guys lost. <laughs> <laughs> TierZoo won, who I, I actually had not
0: heard of until uh, that evening and then looked into TierZoo and was like, this is a massive channel with millions of views on yeah. each video and like very unique perspective on on education. So um, yeah, I think uh, we, I went in this year more thinking about like our presenting and like how we were going to show up and um, we improved, which was very nice. We had a conversation mm-hmm. with, with, uh, uh, Katie and Madeline uh, on the way and, and
1: came up with a little bit. And we were like, okay, we'll improv that and 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 do that. And that was really fun. You know what um, was cool? Right when we got on stage, before yeah. we even said anything, there was a pretty big applause. Yeah, that was really sweet. And it kind of kept going. Yeah. And I almost got choked up a yeah, little bit. It, was it was took really me sweet. out of the moment. I was just like, wow, this yeah. is so cool.
0: I like the streamies because it's a moment where our whole industry gets to come together it, in a way that's not a conference, in a way that's just a celebration. yeah you know, we just get dressed up and, and hang out together. And uh, like we had Ryan Trahan at our table. We Michelle. had Michelle Carre at our table, which, which felt like a very cool table to be at. Ryan won um, first person creator of the year. And uh, Michelle won show of the year, which was one of the most emotional, so cool. such a cool moment. And she's so deserving of it. Um, even in the round table conversation, we all talked about that because she was like, I'm up against hot ones. Yeah, But I the thing I really liked was that the, the final award of the night was show of the year not creator of the year. And I think that's actually really, really cool and a good signal for the future of like people developing formats and shows, that's what's being rewarded in our industry. Yeah, um, it
1: inspired us in the office totally. the this day. We were brainstorming. We are like, we want a right. show of the year. We're like obviously we have the Colin and Samir show. Yeah. But is there another format? Is there something else we could experiment with that we think is, uh, you know, it's just, is there another show out there we could make that mm-hmm. one day we could totally see winning show of the year? It's a good thing to strive for. Yeah. It's cool.
0: Totally. Um, all right. The the award that we gave away was uh, Short Form Creator of the Year. Yeah. Um, made a good joke about height. We literally said uh, in the car, I'd really, like, there's two ways to make a joke about short form creators. It's, Height or length? And Rhett and Link did the like length of time mm-hmm. in the year prior. So we went height. I don't even think I've watched the clip I back. I think it we kind of we were improving, so we like fumbled through the bit sure. a little bit. It <laughs> we wasn't, a little bit. wasn't super clean. Um Matt Pat also called us peak sus, and then Colin said pink sauce or something Which is like understandable. You were like, like, what is pink sauce? And then I yeah. I like kind of So peak looked at you. Peak sus yeah. is what he was saying. Yeah, yeah. Based on Among Us. He,
1: he, he was coming off in an Among Us bit. I just need you to tap into the culture. Man. I can't tap into the culture, I need man. You to tap into the culture in general. I mean, I don't know if this is a gripe I have with my myself or if it's a delight, but the, the pace at which I am aging out of culture is <laughs> yeah. like so rapid. It's the, the past three, four weeks. It's been more rapid than yeah. I've ever
0: experienced.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was at Chris's birthday party. Okay. Right. And I'm telling a story and they're like, have you met that guy? And I was like, no, no, no. But we've, we've Skyped what <laughs> it just came out i was just like do you have skype I, on your I, computer? I was searching i was like is it google hang is it video call is it zoom and then i just came up with like the software of of like three years ago Yeah, i used like, that when i was studying abroad exactly in college i was like my parents. What are, how old am i that's like a payphone like, of exactly. the internet like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy it was it's a mess man yeah yeah we were at um <laughs> so at, while we we're at the streamies, saw Emma Chamberlain's boyfriend. Yeah. I said to Madeline, is that Emma Chamberlain's boyfriend? <laughs> and she was like, what are you doing? He's right he, there. He was like, literally he like just right looked at, you. at our table when yeah, you said that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I am <laughs> accelerating. Like, Honey, t- I think that's, <laughs> yeah, that's Emma Chamberlain. That's the am man accelerating who's with Emma. towards like dad. Yeah, you so are. So fast. You
0: are. We were at um, David Dobrik's pickleball tournament uh, at his house. And, um, <laughs> The DJ group, Two Friends, was announced that they were playing. It was like, and now Two Friends. And I was like, oh, cool, Two Friends is playing. And you turned to me and you went, which Two Friends? Which Two Friends are playing? And I was just, I I looked at you and I got like scared. I don't know why. I I was like, dude,
1: no, stop. Please don't say that out loud. I I need like a culture uh, (laughs) consultant right now. I need someone to send me like a recap every morning of, of, hey, here's the terms. Here are the people. Here are the bands. Here's the bands. Here's what's in. This is what's in because you're out. (laughs) <laughs> you know what was cool the music so Rolling Stone
0: got involved in the streamies this year the musical acts were unbelievable oh man Iconopop and Armani White like it was it was really good yeah. musical acts Um, and they also did these portraits of everyone a bunch of creators the Rolling Stone portraits we were in line for it and I got impatient and I was like let's get out of this and now line. I'm bummed because now they look so cool they look so cool the, uh, yeah, was, yeah bummer Um, okay all in all successful night at the streamies I had a great time I was so happy to see everyone who won um there needs to be a new creator of the year, you know. It, it's hard because, like, is Jimmy the creator of the year? He's doing the most. He's doing the most like visible things, but it's kind of like we need to. Oh, it's been five years in a row. He's won creator of the year. Yeah, last year he even said, "Don't give it to me." Yeah, anymore. He said, "On he, he was like, please don't give this award to me anymore." There, there was some big. There were some good wins this year, like um, the editing podcast pushed for the editors' names to be on the editing award, which I think is is really.
1: Positive to not just be the channel name,
0: not just be the channel name, put the names of the editors who are editing for those (laughs) channels. Um, and I, you know, I, I retweeted that on Twitter and was like, absolutely. This is like so important that in our industry, the craftsmanship is, is in the post-production of, of these videos. Um, those names should be, should be recognized. Um, and then another win for me, I don't have to shave my head. Yes theory one editing. I forgot you made that. I made that very that, public,
1: that wager. Very public with yes theory
0: yeah. on the round. But table. I was really confident. I made that wager actually prior. Would I, you
1: have actually shaved your head if they lost? hundred percent. I actually was planning it's, it. I don't know. I was planning it for after. We were talking in the office before you came in today and everyone was like, he wouldn't have shaved. No, no, no.
0: I told Katie when I would have done it because I have like a family event next week. Yeah. And then I was like, I would just shave it after that on September 10th. I wow. was like,
1: I would shave my head. I'm going to keep trying to find ways to wager that with you now. As, as long as you wager it, too. No, 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 no. That's not part of the deal. But as I'll long try as you and wager find some too. sort of wager where yeah. you'll agree.
0: Lower the stakes, man. Shave your head. No, those are massive stakes. What are the stakes? That's a T-bone. Just, just, just wear a hat. Um, okay. Shorts question for CNS. Now, YouTube Shorts, some news this week. You can now link YouTube Shorts to long-form videos.
1: I linked two this morning. So we have two shorts Great. that, like, perform really well. They continue to pick Just up evergreen. Leadership. Yeah. And, uh, I linked them to our most recent Mr. Beast interview because they have to do yeah. with that interview. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Great opportunity. I think for clips, specifically podcast from clips. podcasts. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a huge moment. Cause the thing about podcasting is that a podcast clip viewer is not necessarily a long form, uh, video viewer. And uh, or or long form audio, and so that conversion is not typically doesn't. There, there's no way to even know if that conversion works, or um, like people blow up podcast TikTok you know channels with clips, um, but it's not necessarily growing the the pod. In some instances, it does, but it's it's hard to know. So linking, I think, is is really big, and it, it makes a really good case for podcasting. Um, I wonder how it'll engage in in other places, but I also think it's 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 a great move for YouTube in the quote-unquote monetization of short-form content. I'm not going to say who, but we did see someone's YouTube backend who exclusively post, uh, posts shorts, and it was the most impressive revenue I've, I just couldn't even believe, it was jaw-dropping it was, revenue
1: for well, I mean, pure yeah, short-form content. It was upwards of what, $25,000 a month?
0: Yeah. For the yeah. last 28 days? I think it was more than that. Um, but it was, and it was close to 400 million shorts views. So, has a lot of views. It's a lot of views. But, but it's, it's significant revenue. It's significant. Um, it was pretty impressive. Um, but I, outside of that, like for us, it's been, I think we've, on the main channel, you know, we've done probably 30, 40 million shorts views. And that has equated to like one to $2,000 maximum. Um, and so thinking about the monetization of if I can go viral on a short, but that pushes people to watch a long form video, that's really positive because that helps monetization. So I like this move from YouTube. I think it's fantastic. I hope I hope to see case studies of people where it like
1: really works. What do you think about on the desktop version of YouTube, how much they push shorts? Like there's a whole shelf of shorts. Yeah. Shorts show up in the search. I am never, for the most part, going to watch a short maybe this is specific to me yeah. on my laptop or on my TV. I
0: have, but I don't get spun into like a scrolling. Like my, the culture of it for me is like, I'll watch the short and then move on. I'm not going to scroll on my desktop. Yeah, but uh, even
1: visually it just doesn't look that good yeah, because it's a bunch great. of like faces and yeah. weird positions.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not that into short form content right now as a whole. Like I'm just, I'm I'm not that into it. I think it's like a bit predictable and kind of like, not very fun for me to scroll through. Yeah. Um, so I haven't seen something fresh in short form content in a while. Yeah, now, there, there
1: was a rush of TikTok during the pandemic that for me has not been hit yeah. since then of like all these new faces, great comedy, great yeah. moments, uh, interesting stories. And there still are like great things happening, of course, all the time. And like interesting cultural moments that I'm missing, clearly. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, as interested in short form.
0: So the question is from Jesse Medina. He said, why are shorts being used to grow the second channel, but not the main channel? So that means this channel creator support. Curious to hear your thoughts, um, considering shorts were a large growth factor for the main channel in 2022, thanks. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely true. Shorts were the biggest factor when it came to growth on the main channel last year. Um, The answer to why shorts are uh, being used here is because the stakes are lower. On the second channel, it feels like, yeah, let's experiment. Uh, We have a group that's cutting clips. I like some of the clips. Um, I am completely fine with them coming out and some doing well, some not doing well. And I think if we can link them to the long form stuff, like great. I think we'll probably fully evaluate it at the end of the year to say if we want to continue with that and evaluate all of our strategies at the end of the year. But yeah, the short answer is like, I'm not feeling that inspired uh, to make short form content for the main channel right now. That's it. I just don't feel that inspired. I think we could do a better job with clips from our episodes. Yep. But I also find that other people clip our stuff and go super viral. What I would love is if those could link back to the main yeah. video. If mm-hmm. that could happen, I'd be I'd be happy with other people clipping, even if people are monetizing. Like yeah, that's fine. Um, but if it linked back to us, that would be helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. So that that's the short answer. Short answer. All right, any gripes call? Well, I had, a, I had the, the gripe slash maybe delight with myself and the pace at which I'm aging out of culture. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of my gripe slash the, delight of the The day.
0: audience kind of has a gripe with us. Um, What's going on? Which is, I, I read this a lot. This one is, is from the subreddit. Um, when are CNS going to talk about Nebula? Hmm. I'm surprised that Colin and Samir have never once made a comment about Nebula especially since Wendover just released a video giving an in-depth analysis of their journey to build a platform to support creators. I feel like this is a huge underappreciated accomplishment in the creator economy. I do want to quickly caveat this and say we cover Nebula a lot in our newsletter. True. In the published press. Like, we do cover Nebula a lot. Fair critique, we, though, that we it's, haven't it's talked about. It's a fair it. critique that you and I have not talked about this. Um, we even have interviews with with some of the jet lag guys in the published press. We, yeah. we, we do... We do cover that beat quite a bit in the published press, but Nebula.
1: Yeah, Nebula, if you don't know, a streaming platform that is creator-backed, yeah. creator-owned. Uh, and you know, I watched the video from Wendover Productions last night, valued at like 150 million. Crazy. Uh, over, I think, you'd have to watch the video, but around 650,000 subscribers to it. It's crazy. And a really interesting model where they started it with you know he talks about it a hundred thousand dollars like they intentionally kept it which is not a lot for a streaming platform it's
0: not a lot it's kind of like an expanded patreon model right like because it's like if you bundled content
1: behind a paywall which is i guess just a streaming service (laughs) yeah i mean it's just a streaming service i mean it's interesting uh some of the elements of it you know because it is in many ways like creator-owned. There's 50% of, like, the revenue pool, I believe, that uh, creators have access to. So they get paid out according to watch time. And if Nebula were to ever sell, they also get paid out.
0: I mean, that's big. Which is big. That's really if it, like, big, sells yeah.
1: for a billion dollars, yeah, that gets split. Mm-hmm. So as a creator, when you are advertising on your video for Nebula, if you get people to subscribe, they watch your videos, you're then getting kind of, like, paid back. Yeah, yeah. So there's clear incentivization
0: yeah, it's a really cool model. It's actually something that years and years ago we got pitched. Remember this? We went to like a Hollywood studio and they pitched us that. And I, my style, not not this, Nebula, no, but. not Nebula, but this style of like like bundling creators, giving them access to uh, a revenue pool. It's just been hard to do because you kind of need an anchor show or an anchor creator, which they have in Jet Lag. Yeah. Um, and then the other ones will fall. But I, yeah, it is. It's a very hard thing to do, and I agree that this is an, an underappreciated accomplishment yep, in the creator totally. economy.
1: totally. There's some um, really interesting learnings from the video, actually, that I think apply to creators whether you're going to, like, join Nebula or not. Mm. One of which is Sam from Wendover's talking about um, marketing, paying creators to market Nebula. And what they found was if there were two call-to-actions, if it was sign up for Nebula and then also they promoted their Patreon, the secondary promotion hurt viewership so much that it actually resulted in like less revenue overall. Mm. So they wanted to make sure that it was, uh, they were going to pay creators to be like the exclusive call to action, which I just think is interesting because we've spent many years where it's a video and we ask an audience to do two things. And then we ask them to comment below with this. And it's like, you have one. You have one. You kind of have one opportunity, which I thought was good.
0: I think the anatomy of a call to action is something that should be broken down. Definitely. Like, what makes a good call to action?
1: And then when I think what just bodes well for creators and, like, the level of production that we're capable of, when it came to, like, the value prop that creators were talking about when they were advertising for Nebula and for people to sign up, he said, advertising for BTS content did not work. Advertising that there would be no ads, okay, not great traction. But advertising that there would be high-quality, premium, long-form content, that's what worked. Mm. Which is cool. And And so Nebula started funding and creating a lot of originals. Right. And that's what like you see with like jet lag. Yeah. Um, And that I think is really cool that they like, they didn't make a BTS platform. It's not just like a super fan platform. Right. It's like a straight up streaming platform. Yeah. Yeah. High quality original content.
0: Yeah. I think um, this world of digitally native creatives uh, is going to influence the broader entertainment ecosystem so much in the next 10 years. Because... We just know how to do things and make things look really high quality, but with like one person behind the camera, you know, or like
1: a very skeleton crew. Um, or maybe more people, but with a deep understanding of retention. Of, of
0: internet retention. Yeah. yeah. Of like, we create knowing that you have so many options literally at your fingertips. That the cards are stacked yeah. against us. Like immediate upon clicking on my video, you are already one foot out the door. That's how we create. And so that is a completely different style of creation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Audience, I know you guys want us to talk about Nebula.
1: I'm sure we We will talk about it more. We'll
0: talk about it more. Um, I agree. It is an underappreciated accomplishment in the creator economy. Um, Okay, cool. That's our episode this week. Uh, I do want to acknowledge that over the next two months, we are going to be traveling quite a bit, uh, which means that the most consistent place to find creator support is gonna be on our audio feed. So if you don't yet listen to uh, this show on Spotify or Apple Pods, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, check the audio feed if you don't see something on YouTube um, because there's going to be times where we don't really wanna film outside of the studio. So we're gonna be super you know, cognizant of, of not necessarily uploading to, to YouTube if we don't feel confident in, in the video product, but it will be there on audio. So check the Discord, check our Twitter, but um, Audio Feed's gonna be the place to get this show on a more consistent
1: basis. And again, if you're interested in reading some of the books that we talked about, we're gonna put all those links in the description. All right, we will see you next week.